Okay, Johnny, it's good to see you again. Happy to see you. You have a couple of questions, and each one of them could be dealt with in great detail. It would take longer than just one talk. So putting them both together in one talk may not do proper justice to either one. Um, let's start with Meta first. You're asking what is Meta? So in order to get started with that, I will ask you back that question, what is Meta? Tell me about it. You know something that you wouldn't have asked. Yes. Uh, well, my understanding of Meta is that it's a practice that one cultivates to uh, generate a kind of caring and compassion towards uh, ourselves and others and all beings in order to uh, 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 present ourselves with a pleasant mind, a peaceful mind, a mind filled with a passion and that will allow us to uh, in a way, be free from uh, feelings of uh, aversion, uh, anger, hatred, um, uh, those feelings that we might have towards people and all kinds of things that we have. And uh, all right. okay. so now that you've given me that description, what's your question? Uh, if you have any proper instructions on how to uh, do it and how can I apply it for uh, the practice in conjunction with uh, with uh, Anapanasati? The answer to that question actually, and it's the proper answer, is no. Okay. And that reminds me of a joke. And the joke is when the uh, uh, the seeker, the bodhisattva, the young man who is out and both for the adventure and the discovery of what is and who he is and is not, and he climbs this high mountain because he's heard this guru was up there. And when he gets to the top, he bows and he scrapes and he says, Oh, Master, please, what is the key to the universe? And the old master sits there and he smiles and he says, I don't know. And poor and dejected after all of that climbing up that hill, as well as all of the other failures he's gone through, he begins to turn and go away. And the master says, so, but the universe has been left unlocked. <laughs> so this is where we're going yet. You asked the question, how do you practice? Metta, and the answer to that is no. Why? It's because you've got cause and effect backwards. 
you think it's locked and that you want the key to unlock it. Okay. Actually, you've got it kind of backwards in, in the sense that meta is not something that you practice to get to an end. Meta is the result of other correct practice. Therefore, yes. when you ask how does one how does one practice meta, the answer is no. You don't practice to get meta. Meta is the outcome of other practice. Or we can be kind. Uh, coy and kind of change the definitions of words and say, oh, you've got to actually have metta for yourself before you can have metta for the world. But in general, the people who try to teach metta as a method or a practice do so on such an outstanding, grandiose scale that it becomes meaningless. In that they say, may all beings be happy, right? Right down to the worms and right down to the mosquitoes and may all beings be happy, depending upon your definition of being. Mm -hmm. Everybody except for the uh, landlord. <laughs> He's not being. <laughs> so, um, that's, uh, that's the point then is, is that may all beings be happy is too grandiose, too big, too wide open, and it's certainly more than anyone can actually handle. And so in a way, because uh, uh, basically what we can say is, is by practicing method, we're actually in a way taking the vow against something that we can call as anti-meta, and that you're not able to live up to it. And so we're constantly in the state of grasping and clinging because we've set goals that are too high that we don't meet. And so it's precisely out of that loser's mentality or that uh, victimhood, the one who is not successful is the one who will ask the kind of questions that we're talking about today. Okay. So let's look at Metta from in in another direction in the sense that let's forget about it all together and go back to Anapanasati, especially with the perspective of gladdening the mind and the perspective of the Equal Noble Path of uh, removing unwholesome thoughts and putting wholesome thoughts in the mind. Okay. And that the best way to do that is by paying attention to what's happening right here, right now. Mm -hmm. If we become skilled at that, there will be times when there's another human being that's right here, right now with us, such as on a Skype call, or maybe the guy comes to the door, or you go to work and you meet people along the way and whatnot like that, and they become part of the reality of the moment that we've really got a great handle on because we're only thinking wholesome thoughts. At that point, we're going to treat those people with method because that's the attitude that we already have. Mm, I see. It's 
not something to be practiced. It's the outcome of the fact that we are practicing being in the present moment in a joyful, uh, wholesome way. And that, in fact, we can go around living our whole life like that. There is never a reason to go off into misery. And that, in fact, that when we go off into misery, that's probably really dangerous territory. An example of that is the easiest way to get killed by a cop is by acting really uptight around him and afraid of him. That's what happens, okay? We create uh, the sense of fear, and the cop picks up on that fear. Mm-hmm. Just like a barking dog will only bark at those people who act afraid of the dog. If they're not afraid of the dog, they don't care so much about it. Mm-hmm. So we actually create the environment that we're in. So if we already are living in a happy, joyful, friendly environment within our own mind, and when we're walking around, we actually exude that wherever we go. This is what it's all about. It's called mudita. Mudita is uh, referred to as sympathetic joy or sympathetic vibration. Basically, what you can say is, is that it is part of the instinct that gives rise to human society in the sense of collecting together in a herd, a herding mentality, our nesting instinct, our our ability to gather in numbers for power. And in doing so, we are somewhat sensitive to other people around us. So if one person is angry, the other people around him will become angry. But this is in fact how someone raises a mob. You've got a whole bunch of people that are around and milling around and not knowing what to do about Frankenstein's monster. Shelley wrote about this. And one guy goes up and really pissed off, and he gets the whole crowd pissed off, and they go after the monster together, right? Okay. The reason for this is because of this quality that the Buddha knew all about. In fact, it was well known at the time, uh, and that is the social interaction that the psychologists were studying in the sense of whoever feels the biggest wins. So if my anger is bigger than your joy, then my anger will win over your joy, and your joy will defeat and deflate, and it'll slink off, or it'll just stand up and try to protect itself and get angry too, and then where's your anger? Where's your joy? Right? This is what happens. But if, but if your joy is greater than my anger, then you will subdue me, and I'll become joyful also. So in that regard, uh, this is what we mean by sympathetic vibration, and we can see that it actually has a physical way, even though we don't quite understand it, but it has to do literally with vibrations. You sit a well-tuned violin down in an empty room, and then you have a trumpet player come in, and he's going to play the note A. And then he walks out of the room, and you walk into the room, and you can still hear that note A because the violin is continuing to play that note. Sympathetic vibration. We did that in school. I mean, it was such a cool thing to do. <laughs> to make another instrument go off. <laughs> Guess what? Now we can do that with humans. 
Okay. Any note that you have that you can play on your own, I can make you play it. Mm-hmm. With skill, right? Knowing that you have that control also, how do you want to go around dealing with the world? And how much of it do you want to have? Because if you really have a very, very powerful, self-confident, radiating joy so that you know that you can handle anything and you take care of anything that way, mm-hmm. then that's how people are going to react to you. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. Right. And it's a very, very powerful position to be in. In fact, that's exactly the right word for it. And that's why it's called that. And, and the name of it in Pali is idia, idiapada. And the word pada means like the foundation, like the satipatthana. You can hear that pada in there. All right. That's exactly the same thing as pedal or pedestal. And it refers in uh, the um, Indo, uh, uh, Indo-European language system as the footing or the foundation. Okay. So what is the foundation of power? The Buddha says that the foundations of power actually are very much akin to the Eightfold Noble Path in the sense that there's mindfulness, there's investigation, there's right effort. Okay, mm-hmm. those are the things uh, uh, that are the foundations of power. And what are the powers then? The power that is part of that actually is listed in the, in the uh, Pali Dictionary, starting with safety, security, comfort, satisfaction, and success. That's the power. And when you have that in great abundance, then you have it as in a form of wealth. Okay. And you live a very, very wealthy life. And you exude power. And people like that around you. They would really, really rather have you being always in a good mood mm-hmm. than to you being just ordinary and go into sour moods from time to time. Like more often for them than for you. Yes. <laughs> okay. So now that we know of the, the power of mudita, that's how we begin to operate with the world in the sense of karuna or compassion. Mm-hmm. And that compassion then is not the word of, of compassion that we have. In fact, the English language word empathy or even sympathy would be better than compassion. Why? Look at the word and you see calm is the uh, Latin word for with. And then you have the other word is what? Passion. If you have compassion for someone, that means that you feel with them. You join them in their pity party, and you have a pity party, too. And a lot of people find a lot of gratification in that. And in fact, we talk about it in the sense of misery loves company. Yes. Yes. So now you know what we're talking about. And another way of thinking of it is, is that somebody just fell overboard. What do you do about it? There you are. They're, they're, they're in the water. You don't look around for the life raft to throw them. You just jump in with them. <laughs> and now we got two people drowning. But that's okay because we're clutching and clinging to each other. <laughs> right. 
and we can call that a pity party. Playing, playing the mutual game of ain't it awful. My son died, your daughter died, oh, ain't it awful. Boo-hoo. Mm-hmm. And everybody feels mutually bad. That's that same, in fact, mutual vibration right there. That's the mudita in that compassion. All right? But if we are wise, instead of jumping in, we can just merely throw them a life raft and pull them out of it. But we have to have a firm anchor, a firm foundation in joy. Otherwise, they'll pull us in. Which is their intention all along anyway. Yes, it is. Because misery yeah. loves company, and misery loves to stay miserable. Misery yes. don't want to be joyful. And so misery is going to resist your joy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard once one, once one is in a state of misery, that kind of misery. It's very hard to, to like, make the effort to to be joyful or to or to be even receptive to any joy or anything at all. Um, mm-hmm. So I suppose so that's why... You've got a hill to climb with your joy. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can't do it with a teaspoon of sugar. You've got to have a whole bucket full. Yeah. Maybe a right. forklift. You know, a big shovel. <laughs> you got to dump joy all over until they're drowning in it. And that may take that may take some effort on your part. Okay, <clears throat> to find a way in, to sneak in, to get close and, and dump some joy juice. So I, I suppose that's why it makes sense. So, like for example, <laughs> like I think it was, I don't know, like this week, someday this week, like. Friday or not Friday, maybe Thursday or Wednesday, I don't know, something like that. I was feeling really joyful and happy at work, which is very rare. <laughs> and and um, it was actually so overwhelming that uh, like it felt, I don't know what it felt like, but it felt very overwhelming. And so everybody that I interacted with at work, uh, it felt very different. Everybody was talkative and smiling, which is very rare in Finland because people are very reserved to themselves and quiet and all that stuff. So there was a very different uh, environment to everything. Everything was radiating a kind of a kind of love, um, even inanimated things like 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 the piece that I was working with and stuff like that. There was a, a very int- intense beauty in, in it and I and I work in an industrial factory so you know to say that there's beauty there it's quite a statement I, think. I mean the only reason that people are miserable in that kind of environment is because they go to misery and with them yes yeah uh, it makes sense and so, yeah you can you can take your joy and the work yeah it is a kind of uh, the, the job itself and the, the workplace itself isn't intrinsically bad or or ugly. It's just our relationship that we create with the thing that makes it that way. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. We make ourselves that way. Yes. yes yeah, yeah. Um, Doesn't matter what the job, we can get used to anything. Right. 
I know yes. I've been in that sort of environment. I see. Yeah. Okay, so. So, so if meta is, a, is the result, then the simple uh, practice of making our selves uh, have a mind filled with wholesome thoughts and practice being satisfied with the, the moment and happy with the moment is itself the practice that will um, generate meta eventually because one will be satisfied and joyful and uh, or am I missing something? <laughs> Right. So basically what we're saying is, is that you're not going to change much of anything that's on the outside that you aren't already practicing and changing on the inside. But this is the whole point about seclusion is that you get away from the world. Then when we get away from the world, we can clean out the interior. Once we get the interior cleaned out really well and you really have that confidence, now you can go back into the world and deal with the world quite delightfully. Now you're in the world, but you're really not of the world. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that your state is from? It's coming from not external sources. Uh, but it comes from the, the practice of being satisfied on the inner side of things. Because, because for example, also, also this week, I had some news about something that I might be really excited to participate in, in, in real life, some news. And uh, I was very excited because of it as well. And then the entire thing got postponed for next week. And then I realized how much I was clinging to the, this idea of this thing. And then I noticed that the entire happiness and joy thing went down a tiny little bit, not too much, but it went down a little bit. Uh, but I still remain like pretty happy. Like I've been pretty happy for a while, which feels really strange. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, an unfamiliarity with being satisfied. And so it feels unfamiliar and strange to the mind i'm assuming and so and so i started to wonder like at what point can one is one able to discern if uh, if if one's joy is uh, due to external conditioning and uh, and not to the the practice of uh, of feeling happy within themselves if that makes sense it does absolutely and the easy answer to that is it never comes from the outside. Your joy is always manufactured on the inside, just like all of your misery. Okay. None of it comes from the outside. Okay. But that's thinking. It's the delusion that you think that getting that material possession, whatever it is, or have that event happen is what makes you joyful. Well, in fact, it's your own anticipation and gratification right. that is yes. the joy. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
the thing didn't even happen and I'm already joyful. Right, of course. Right. Exactly. The anticipation yeah. of it. Now, that leads to the question about the fact that there are two kinds of hunger and happiness, or actually two kinds of happiness. The happiness that depends upon hunger and being fulfilled with that hunger, and then there's a happiness that is higher than that, that we manufacture on the inside, that allows us to be free from hunger. Okay. That right now, the ordinary mind is that we get our satisfaction by feeding our hunger. And what is our hunger? The things that we want. In fact, the Pali word for that, hunger, is tanha, and that can also be used for the word thirst. Okay? We hunger and thirst after things. And so when we get those things, we feel satisfied and happy, but that's always very temporary. Right, yes. And so then we want things again. And so we get stuck in this cycle of wanting and getting fulfilled and wanting to get fulfilled and wanting to get fulfilled. Mm -hmm. But if you can develop things so that you get to the point that you don't want very much, then you don't have much in that cycle of wanting and getting and wanting and getting. You kind of step out of that and become satisfied without having to do so much of that. Mm-hmm. And so that means that in, in the material world, we get to the point that we go to just enough is the, is the watchword. Just enough housing, just enough clothing, just enough food, just enough medical attention. And in modern society, we'd say uh, just enough time structuring and just enough transportation. Mm-hmm. Right. But we do structure our time in this society. Mm-hmm. We consciously get out of structuring your time. If that's yes. hard to do, somebody else can structure your time for you. So, yes. in any case, we get it to just enough. Just enough structure, just enough transportation, just enough um, uh, equipment, just enough uh, um, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. And above that, we don't need any. Yes. Um, yes, I do understand that. And uh, I think, so like, so like, I think I have, uh, I don't know if this is the proper way to put it, but some, like a samskara around money or something like that due to past stuff that happened when I was younger and stuff. And so I feel like, um, so like now I'm in a, in a, the most stable, like situation that I've been in a, in a while, but uh, financially and stuff like that. It's not too much, but it's not, it's certainly more than I've ever been. And so what I've noticed is that this, uh, this, um, this feeling of uh, this kind of like anxiety, this insecurity remains just the same uh, or maybe a little bit less, but it's pretty much still the same. So I have so like every time that I every time that I check my bank account, for example, I know it's not going to be at zero, but the, the fear, the, the, the this anxiety is still there. It's just the same, like the, the thing is still there. Uh, and um, 
and uh yeah i don't know it reminded me of what, what you were talking about and uh like even though that makes sense it, it's tough i think for me because well for me for a lot of people i suppose but um yeah i'm not sure how to deal with it because um it's there's there's this intrinsic fear always present of like what if something happens what if uh and like i have people like for example i have my mother is sick and she doesn't work she doesn't do anything and she lives in another country and i i'm paying for everything for her too so i'm sustaining her and myself alone and you go around thinking about all the stuff that can go wrong yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh-huh. that's quite a habit yeah, it is a habit. Of course, yeah, it How is are you habit. going to change that habit? Because that's actually what you're asking me about. And that, yeah. that, that is just to see the thoughts that you have of every, anything that can go wrong is an unwholesome thought. Yes, it is. Right. It is. And look at what state you get yourself into about the bank account and about mom and about any and everything that could go wrong, even though you probably think it's not going to go wrong. Well, if it's not going to go wrong, then start telling yourself, oh, I don't have to worry about things. The things are probably not going to go wrong because they don't anyway. You're not living in reality when you keep looking at all the stuff that could go wrong. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Let's get real. And so it's just it's, it's just a practice, right? It's just a practice of you have to practice because you've yeah. gotten yourself into the bad habit. Yeah. The bad habit, what is that? The bad habit of figuring out things that go wrong. And why would you wonder why what could go wrong is because underlying that is a feeling of insecurity. Yeah, yeah, of course, right. So it's time to begin to look at that too. And just start telling yourself, hey, man, you don't have anything to worry about. Nothing is insecure. You're okay. No yeah. place to go. Nothing to do. You'll be all right. Right. You'll be all right. Everything's fine. And start addressing that fear. This is part of the reason why we want to take a deep breath. Just relax and let that fear drain out. Right. Yeah, and it's so only when you let go of that fear can you allow the joy in that you want to pump up to give to other people in the form of meta. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not okay. because you want to give them that, it's because you want some inside. You want to get rid of that fear. So we gotta start addressing the fear in, in the sense of um confronting it. And the way to confront it is in a nurturing way, to confront it in a nurturing way. So, hey, man, there's nothing to fear about. There's nothing wrong. There's no problem here. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. Right. Yeah, this kind of a uh, gentle and tender way. Yeah, relax, relax. Everything's all right now. Right. Yes. This should be part of your anapanasati practice, if not the practice. I mean, these are all just wholesome thoughts, one wholesome thought after another to reassure yourself that everything is fine. Mm-hmm. This is the building of that power that we were talking about not long ago, the idiopata. How can you have power and presence in public if you're not actually in there generating that power? You've got to pump this stuff up. You've got to get it going. You've got to pay attention here. Yes. 
So if all if all mental states derive from me, both good and bad, I can generate the good ones as well at will. Might take a bit of practice because I've got any practice of generating good practice. stuff. Precisely. That's why Shakti is so important. You gotta wake yeah. up, you gotta remember, you gotta do it. Yeah. Speaking of sati, my my sati off the cushion, it's been so good. I feel like, especially at work, it's been really, really, really good. Um, but on the cushion, it's it's becoming worse. <laughs> so, uh, I I can't. Sure, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll repeat then what I what I was saying. Uh, I was saying that you mentioned sati, and uh, I, I, I my sati outside of the cushion has been really good, especially at work. When when I'm at, when I'm at home, uh, it gets a bit worse, but I still have my meals uh, and all that stuff. Um, with uh, I, I practice attention and, and all in all that way, but uh, at work is. Many many times in all in all in most situations, and but on the cushion, uh, informal practice, it's getting worse. <laughs> I think it's getting much worse, and uh, sometimes I'm completely lost in thought for a long while, and only then I realize, oh, you know. Uh, well, this I, is the segue right into your second question. Then this restlessness. Yes. The... In that regard, I have to congratulate you for actually beginning to see this restlessness. Yes. Yes. Most people, they, they work really hard to escape it and to not watch it. Mm -hmm. And when they do uh, see it, they call it anxiety or stress or worse. But, but uh, in the Buddhist literature, we call it restlessness because we can't find any rest. And yet right there in Anapanasati, the whole show is about relaxation, rest, yeah. peace, tranquil, equanimity, bliss, you know. None of that is disturbing restlessness. Mm. So... Going back to that whole thing about wanting things and getting it fulfilled and wanting things and getting it fulfilled, that is actually fueled by restlessness. Okay. It's fueled by it. Mm -hmm. Okay, the underlying uh, fuel of restlessness is, uh, or anxiety below that, is again fear. That's what's at the bottom of it. And okay. how it manifests itself is that because underlying this is a fear so subtle that I don't understand, but I do know that it is fear because it kicks off the fear mechanisms of fight and flight. But mm. in fact, the restlessness is a fight that you've got to get into that doesn't exist. Mm. It's the feeling you, that you you've got to do something. Yeah, it is a it is a kind of like a constant 
preparation, a constant anticipation for possible uh, dangers that might happen. A life and death encounter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that life and death encounter doesn't exist in our yeah, society right. now. Yes. But it is an old mechanism that at one time was an instinctual mechanism that kept people alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? But now our society is such and has been since before the time of the Buddha that we don't need that kind of reaction and that in fact in our society it's inappropriate to behave the way we feel, mm -hmm. causing an internal conflict. That we literally have taken the body out of the jungle into the city and yet when we bring the mind into the city that's what creates a concrete jungle yeah that's kind of a spoof isn't it uh -huh. <laughs> right and really the jungle is not in the city nor is the city in the jungle no it's the mind that's in the jungle it's almost mm -hmm. like the story that you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Well, in this yes. case, we can take the, <laughs> forgive the, uh, the, the joke, but you can take the jungle bunny out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the bunny. <laughs> <laughs> right. yes. That takes something new. Mm. In fact, that's what takes Anapanasati, is to get this jungle out of the mind, which means that now we have a mind that's sharp and controlled enough so that we don't operate by instinct. Mm. We actually subdue and make friends with that instinct because there will always be reasons for fear. Mm. There will be times when you recognize all of a sudden, hey, I better not do this business deal, or hey, I better not walk down this alley. Right. Okay, it's, it's important to pay attention to the fear when it's uh, correct. Right. But we have to learn what it's correct and when it's not correct because right. generally the fear is incorrect. It's what they call a false positive. Mm -hmm. This mechanism is too finely tuned so that uh, any truck going down the road sets off our seismometer as if it was a uh, earthquake. Right? right. It's too sensitive. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to be able to control this fear and put it to good work, put it to good use. Mm -hmm. So that means we have to investigate it, recognizing that generally we don't know for sure until we investigate, but generally when fear is there, it's unwholesome, which means that's a false positive that this is really not a fearful situation. Mm. I mean, look around your room right now, there's no alligators on the floor, right? right. I mean, Take a look. Don't just agree yeah, with yeah, me. Yeah. Look, yeah, sure. right? Yeah. <laughs> no you'll never alligators. Yeah, you'll never know. <laughs> yeah, no mafia, no alligators. Uh, uh, the the uh, uh, the the heavy duty police with all of their shields, the SWAT team, not breaking down in your door, not this second. There's mm -hmm. nobody out on their lawn with a megaphone saying, "Come out, come out with your hands up." Or anything. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. things are really not dangerous right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need so to keep reminding ourselves of that. Yeah, so it's a constant... Because that's at the bottom of the restlessness. Once you realize that you are safe, 
then that means that if you are safe, completely safe, then you don't have to prepare for danger because there's nothing to be dangerous with right now. So even the even the thoughts of like, I don't know, silly stuff like, I don't know, like music or or what I had for breakfast or I don't know some something simple like that. Is that related to to fear as well or? Uh, are though uh, is that kind of restlessness also related to fear or is that a different kind or I don't know. I'll, I'll go with this and talk about of the kind of thoughts the kind of thought that is most common in the human mind is what we will label and put into the classification of junk thoughts okay. just junk hmm. all right and when we begin to recognize junk is really junk, then we'd even see that that's dukkha too, because those are dangerous. But in the yeah. beginning, most students are not quite willing to address that junk as dangerous also. And so that's okay, because this is all a learning process, and what we are actually learning is, what is dukkha? Mm -hmm. And when we begin to see the dukkha, that's when we're willingly ready to let it go. Is not somebody has to talk us into it. But the only talking into I can do is talk you into looking. Once you see what it is, you can deal with it the way you know how to deal with it because you can see it clearly. Okay? But we can talk about them in the sense of truly unwholesome thoughts would be thoughts of, of harming someone. Reve thoughts of revenge. Thoughts of teaching people a lesson. Mm. Yes. Thoughts of getting back at them. Mm. Thoughts of answering that email. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, well, th those are, I think, more obviously understood, or like the, it's easier to spot that they are unwholesome, right? Well, but, thoughts of answering that email are oftentimes people to say, wait a minute, I want to answer that email. And so the gratification of really digging in and clawing on that dude for saying what he said and really mm -hmm. finding something sharp and witty so that everybody laughs but him, mm -hmm. that those are delicious. And we don't recognize the danger in it. So when we recognize the danger, we say, well, I don't have to really answer that dude. Just because he was harsh or nasty to me doesn't mean that I have to out-harsh and out-nasty and do it poetically. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, that, that liberal example is, uh, is something that I've done myself. That I was able, <laughs> that I, that I was able to spot that... that uh, that very strong want to, to, to do that. And then I realized that I don't have to do that. And I, it's probably better to not do it. And then I didn't do it. And it was totally fine. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So well, it's an adventure. Actually a way of thinking about it. And this is very wholesome, very nurturing to think about it in the sense that for the rest of your life, there is no more work to do. That you give yourself permission to absolutely retire from doing anything you don't want to do. And you start doing only that which you want to do. 
Mm. And so because you do it because you want to do it, you do it happily and joyfully. Mm. Yes. Okay. Which means that it's no longer work. Now it's a toy. So your job at work is not a job at work. It's a, uh, uh, let us say, it's a playground where you go enjoy yourself and get paid. Mm -hmm. If you can't think of the job that you have as uh, uh, your playground where you enjoy getting paid, then go find another playground. <laughs> right. Yes, right. Yeah, it makes sense, of course. Uh, but th those are really tough decisions, I think, to do because they are fairly, they are very life-changing in a way. Uh, Yes, and it's all a matter of changing one's attitude, and we change our attitude by changing our thoughts from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. And now the whole world becomes wholesome, and we become what can be called a, uh, a metanoid. A metanoid. <laughs> yeah, a meta, right, a metanoid. What is a metanoid? Well, it's the exactly opposite of a paranoid. What is a paranoid? The paranoid thinks that the whole world is out to do him harm, but a metanoid believes that the whole world is out to do him joy. Mm, I see. Yeah. Yeah, you can find I, joy everywhere you look. You can yeah. find pleasure there. Yes. A friend of mine says, find inner peace and you'll find world peace. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That the world's okay. It's a, no, no problem. The world's fine. Yeah. The world is fine. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Of course, yeah, it is just our judgments, our interpretations of the world, our connections that we do. Our that... jobs to do. Yeah. It's all of the undone work. You oughta, shoulda, woulda, coulda, gotta do this. Mm. And until you get it done, as long as there's world poverty, you can't be happy. Yeah. You know, there, there are children in Yemen who are suffering. Yeah. How can you possibly be happy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? You hear that mentality? I've actually seen that in print. Yeah, I used There's to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be like that. And I know people are still like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that, that means that I've got a pity party. You've got to have one, too. Here, I'll give you a pity cookie, and you eat my pity cookie so you can feel bad, too. How dare you feel good? Yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a perpetual and an act of perpetuating and sustaining the suffering, the dukkha there and mm -hmm. spreading it to everyone and everything. Uh, yes. Okay. So so the, so go ahead. The, the entire process of changing unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts alleviates the issue. Well, it doesn't alleviate the issue. It's that we recognize that whatever this is, it's not an issue. Yes. Yeah. So, right, right. So it just it allows us to recognize that there's no intrinsic issue yeah, in There's it. no problem here. Yeah, yeah, everything's okay. Right. I'm yes. satisfied with this. Right. Okay. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yes. almost like joyfully allowing the sleeping dog to lie. Mm. Or so, you've also heard it in the sense of if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. Or don't, uh, they say it backwards. Yeah, don't fix it. It's not broken. 
Yes. So the end. So. So would you say that one of the reasons why my formal practice, sitting practice, my restlessness has gone up is just because I'm just more aware of it. It is not that it's been up. It has always been up. It's just I've just never noticed it before. Or All right. Well, I would ask you that same question. What is the answer to it? And I'll ask it this way. Is this brand new restlessness or is this old stuff? Have you ever um, felt restless before? I have. All the time. Isn't it what you would call a uh, familiar feeling? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. It's very In fact, maybe it's the fact that it had been such a familiar feeling and it has become literally part of your own furniture mm -hmm. that you haven't been. Oh. Tamararo? Oh. But that now you are. Now you are paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's because this stuff is kind of hidden away uh, as part of the furniture, and yet it's such a big piece of furniture that it actually has a major influence on our lives. Sometimes it's like the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And we completely ignore it intentionally. We kind of know it's there, but we won't admit that I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But now with mindfulness, now that you're beginning to pay attention, that's exactly what we're doing here is we're yeah. taking a look, doing an inventory over and over and over again. This is one's right view. So congratulations. Yeah. You're going to see something that's been there all along. <laughs> yeah, it, it comes and goes. I think like uh, I've noticed this before, but for some reason, well, I guess I wasn't practicing uh this like anapanasati or, or shamatha in any way uh, for a while and so maybe that got weaker and that's why i kind of and now, and now it's like getting more uh, apparent again uh, okay okay so i think that helped i'll try to implement that into my practice okay well, one last point then, and that is, is that begin to notice the connection between uh, the restlessness and the feelings associated with that and the thoughts, both how quick and how fast and what, but mostly what kind of thoughts happen that make you restless because you literally talk yourself into it. Mm hmm. And it's good for you to recognize what kind of thoughts that you have that bring on restlessness so that you can get to those thoughts and change them before they grind in the restlessness. Mm. In other words, earlier and earlier in the process you get, the easier it is to take right effort to throw that stuff out. Yes, yeah. Okay. If I'm already so, like too deep on it. Once you get to the point of you're so restless that you're literally pacing the floor, <laughs> that's a bit late. Yes, sure. Okay. That's when the man really gets worried, is when you, you start pacing. Do you think, uh, like, reducing, say, reducing stimulation, like, uh, I don't know, like music or social media or uh, 
doing multiple things at the same time. I've been getting better at that, but do you think reducing all of that stuff is uh, helpful to uh, also, because most of the content of I my would say it's the other way stuff. around. You're looking at cause and effect backwards again. Yes. The oh. more satisfied and the more wholesome you become, the less interested you are in any of that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And okay. so it kind of naturally becomes less important. So, so media stimulation, not so important anymore. Right. So it, it, there's a natural disengagement with it will start happening. No need. Okay. You can Makes see that, 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 that in fact, I feel better than the folks who are doing this. Mm. And you begin to look for more and more wholesome things to do. Mm. Yes. Okay. So, do you have I I the last times that we we spoke I forgot I forget to ask this today I remember the uh, do you have anything that you would like to recommend to for me to see like a video or a, a book to read or something I don't know if you uh, have anything or if you want me to read anything or or if. That's fine. Yeah, I've got a recommendation. Read the book of Johnny. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> just to investigate myself. Right. Yeah, investigate to look. I yeah. would also recommend a few suttas, and that I would also recommend Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, some of the stuff that he has to say. The way that he phrases it often really impacts people. His books upon, in fact, I was thinking of one when we were talking, and that is his book on hunger and happiness. And you can Google Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and get the whole range of stuff that's available in English. Mm -hmm. Only a small part of his uh, talks have been translated into English, but most of them have been transcribed into at least the Thai language. So the, the Thai language uh, library of his work is vast. I see. Okay, so what, what are the, the sutras then? Um, a good one to start with would be the Anapanasati Sutta, number 118 in the Majjhima Nikaya. Another would be 117, which is the one on uh, the Eightfold Noble Path, because you can see, in fact, those two are back to back for a reason. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I've read the Anapanasati one before. Maybe I should relook at it again. Okay. Maybe I'll look at things in a different lens now. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but yeah. Okay, I'll look into that then. Excellent. Well, thank we'll you. We'll see you later, Johnny. Yes, I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.